and welcome back to Screenworthy, brought to you as always by The Mind Refinery. I'm your host, Kyle Bodanis. On this episode, we talk about HBO's Lovecraft Country. We break down the first couple episodes, talk about the performances of Jonathan Majors and Journey Smollett, as well as how showrunner Misha Green and executive producer Jordan Peele are reshaping the horror genre. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe to the Mind Refinery Podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts. If you have time, follow us on social media. And now, here's the show. Alright guys, here today to talk about Lovecraft Country on HBO are Mind Refinery creatives Boyan Nedek and Coburn Blair. Gentlemen, how are you? How's it going? Good, how about you? That's going good, you know, just uh, happily uh, watching these episodes over and over again, these two episodes. I feel like I want more. I feel like HBO is like the pusher of all pushers. Uh, First one's free, and then they just try to, you know, give it to you. Actually, the first one's never really free, but still, (laughs) you know how it is. Um, So, gentlemen, as of today, we are two episodes into Lovecraft Country. Uh, It was originally brought to J.J. Abrams and his Bad Robot uh, production company by Jordan Peele back in 2017. So that got the ball rolling, and it was announced that showrunner Misha Green was attached to it. Uh, during the development, she consulted with with uh, Matt Ruff, who was the author of the Lovecraft Country novel, and then proceeded proceeded to create a project that has received critical acclaim and kind of a no, new look on the horror genre. So, with that context and with that said, and watching it and the anticipation, what was our initial thoughts on the show? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it was it was. First of all, a hard sell to go in there just because I, I I'm allergic to horror. The genre just I've been it's just been tired and old and 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 nothing surprises me. Nothing catches me off guard in that genre, generally speaking, with the exception of Get Out, um, which which was was refreshing. Um, so and I didn't even I knew very little about it. I knew very until until uh, you uh, started telling me about it. Um, and you know, Jordan Peele, as soon as you mentioned that, that was kind of what kind of pushed me to, to give it a try. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I regret, I regret any reticence I had about going into it cause it's, uh, it definitely is a different feel and a different take. Uh, it, it avoids all those tired old genre tropes, um, while basically adopting sort of those some of those Lovecraftian tropes, uh, but uh, in, you know, uh, fusing them into into a, a, a new take and a, and a different sort of exciting new way to approach horror. Uh, and to me, it it comes off more as an adventure story, uh, like a fantasy horror adventure. I'm sure it's going to get a lot darker. Maybe I'm <laughs> being tricked here, but uh, I loved it. I, I enjoyed the hell of it. I can't wait to see more of it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was excellent. Um, it's a show that I've been waiting for for a long time uh, since it was announced, pretty much. And I think they kind of handled everything very deftly. Like, like I'm sure we'll get into it on the podcast, but I loved all the allusions that they made, all the kind of references, and the the kind of handling of horror in a way that there's not much horror in the beginning of the first episode. But the horror that's kind of presented is the horror of other people and the horror of kind of the issues of the time period, the horrors of racism and the horrors of like policing and stuff like that. And I thought that was a really kind of cool way to take the tropes and play with them. 
I absolutely love this show. You know, Misha Green kind of takes this biting social commentary and dovetails into, you know, the fantastical elements of the horror genre. Um, you know, this is part of the ground that Jordan Peele, uh, you know, kind of put together. You know, reviving the social thriller and injecting it back into the horror genre. Uh, you know, Misha Green kind of runs with it, making it even bigger, like doubles and triples down on that idea, making it more fantastical and wrapping it up in this family story of legacy and birthright and family ties and all these ideas that everyone can understand at some level. But then there's this like twin horror that's put with it, uh, you know, of, you know, Jim Crow and, and racism and, and police and the state. And I just think the way they, she was able to do this with this series um so far has been incredible i was really blown away by the pilot um you know the special effects opening was super cool it was like cool and fun but also like foreshadowed stuff with tick and his past but also filled the memorable opening checkbox um you know i think hbo was always hunting for the next great series especially in the absence of things like before the sopranos now game of thrones not necessarily the greatest series they put together um because i think that's debatable depending on you know what your tastes are but definitely in terms of popularity and ability to you know penetrate the public consciousness and i think this along with um i may destroy you um are kind of putting hbo in a more even more socio-political situation um, and that is the zeitgeist right now with what is going on, you know, outside with all, you know, the horrors of, uh, of racial violence, uh, by police officers. And I really like what HBO does with their development choices here. I also think HBO is so fucking good at putting together moments and like, there's these, like, you know, I like the opening, um, you know, the, the scene, and this is, there's just a heads up, there's going to be spoilers here, so if you don't want to uh, hear about it, you know, from this is the time to turn it off. But, you know, when there's the ceremony and the Gil Scott Heron um, song is playing, um, spoken word is playing, and it's just... And it's just contrasting what's going on, and when they're p picking through, you know, the stone wall and the... You know, and the Nina Simone's playing, and it's just they they are so good at shaping moments and shaping emotions, and it sucks you in so well. And I just this is like the new show I love, and it's just it just the first two episodes were fantastic. Do you think with with HBO kind of coming out with their suite of of programming for the summer, obviously in the pandemic, do you think Perry Mason was a little bit left behind? I think the problem with Perry Mason, and I've watched a few episodes of it now, is that. It's like it carries Perry Mason, the name Perry Mason. So I don't know what that means from a baggage standpoint for people who know what that is, like about the show previously, you know, the whole Raymond Burr thing. Um, I think, see, the thing is Perry Mason is quite good. But I mean, Boyan, we talked about this, you know, when we, when we were doing um, The Watchmen. And, you know, the second you start thinking that maybe something isn't going to be good on HBO... It doesn't end up... I, I find that you're more thinking something is going to be amazing and then disappointed rather than, you know, low expectations and being disappointed. I think that... I think it was like Watchmen where I was like, okay, I this is going to be Perry. I don't know what they're going to do with this. And they end up making it something completely different. So, yes, I, I, I think to an extent it gets overshadowed by these other shows. I could kind of get it because I do think that these shows... 
I mean, I may destroy you. I think is it's a it's a very original piece of art, and there's very few. I feel like uh, it's, that's a generational story. show. Like yeah, it that's, bit, that's, it transcends yeah, a little bit. Even even HBO's sweet. Yeah, that's the thing, right? It becomes infinitely like it's hard to top that show because there's very few original stories, and I think this one is just an original t- story or a super original take on it. So I think Perry Mason is good. But it's kind of like the you know it's kind of like the wire where the wire was kind of sandwiched in between big HBO HBO titles. Um, I don't think it's as good as the wire. Uh, obviously, you know the wire is one of the I think the best shows put on television. But it still you know was lost between like Sex and the City and The Sopranos. And I think sometimes you got to pay attention to those HBO shows yeah. because if you don't because they can surprise you right and even the ones you're not even really thinking yeah. about. Well, and it's they they do that often where you know you'll have the big their version of a tentpole, which is you know their their big uh, uh, IP, but then they'll sneak in sometimes even with uh with the miniseries, you know, like I I don't know how many people know Generation Kill, but I think it's it, it's it's touted as one of the best sort of military uh, shows ever made in in terms of authenticism of of the Iraq War and and what soldiers are really like, but it's one of those shows that just squeaked by completely well, it, it unknown. Redeemed Ziggy, he... which was the most important part for me. <laughs> Sorry, it redeemed who? Ziggy from uh, The Wire. Yeah, his yeah. character was. Well, it's David. I mean, Generation Kill was fantastic. I think that's actually a really good one to bring up because it's David Simon. So David Simon gets lost in the the wire, and then to Treme uh, to an extent as well. Where Generation Kill is the thing, and I think that's kind of, I think that's maybe where Perry Mason is in this whole fucking HBO um, lineup. In that, like, and I don't think that even Perry Mason has really gotten as you know, like if you look at the Night of, the Night of is another miniseries, but I think a lot more focus was put on that um i think that might have a lot to do with when it was um you know on tv but perry mason i don't know what the the plan is with that show but i definitely think a show like that can get lost amidst um a show shows of like i may destroy you and lovecraft countries uh caliber especially because lovecraft country it hits a lot of notes it hits like intellectual notes it hits uh horror notes it hits fantasy notes it hits fun notes um, it hits emotional notes and like, I mean, that's what you're really looking for when it comes to any kind of programming, I think. Yeah. W- would you say that this is kind of a redemption, not redemption, maybe, but might be the wrong word, but for, even though it's not completely Jordan Peele's baby, but like, I think, I feel like Jordan Peele kind of took a, a little bit of a dip after us kind of came out and people weren't like riding the same high that they were when get out was made. And I feel like this is kind of like pushing back into like okay this guy makes like phenomenal bodies of work i think jordan peele is setting himself up as one of the premier executives and i think he's on the i think he's on pace to do and i like his stuff a lot more than like jj abrams but i think that this is like this idea of becoming the point guard if you will i use this illusion all the time the guy who's distributing the ball the guys who's throwing it to creatives and you know bringing them along as well um i think that is his future i think that is his ambition too i think he's thinking about it more from an ownership standpoint you know what i mean um and rightly so what did you watch hunters though yeah i didn't like hunters boy did you see hunters i did not i don't know what that is they, the advertising budget must have failed. Bezos must be mad somewhere because he put a lot of dollars in the advertising. Oh, it was an Amazon show, show with, yeah. with Peel? Yeah. 
Yeah. No. I don't know. I don't like. I, I feel still like... think like he, that's the thing though. You can't like Peel has done so many uh, enough enough great things right now that I I, I don't think little little uh, hiccups here and there really matter. Like he he finds a way to 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 bring things back, and I don't think like 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 what I said in the beginning is like as soon as you said Peel, as soon as Kyle told me like Peel was was part of this, even though he's you know he's not the main guy in this, is something that okay sold it to me as in at least they got to give us a chance and that's to me there's a there's a pantheon of of creators and directors and writers uh where no matter how weird the project sounds or how just like maybe possibly unappealing when you when you when you first describe the project as just you know spoken like speaking uh one-on-one with somebody if they say the name i'll always give that creator a chance and i think peel peels earned that for me so i I, whatever if he makes a couple bad bad things here and there who knows that that happens to that happens to all creators so i, I I'm, I'm excited to see everything he makes coming you know going forward what are our initial thoughts on the performances how do we feel that they are because there's a lot of critical acclaim for for the way these panned out and you know so far and uh journey smollett and uh jonathan majors um letty and tick you know, they're, they've been, they've been kind of, and, and, and Courtney B. Vance, but we'll get to them. Like, what do you think of the two leads? I, I was floored. Like, um, obviously Jonathan Majors coming off of, uh, the five bloods for me and coming off of lost black man in San Francisco. I think he's just kind of continuing his streak of excellence. Co- totally had me sold on this. And I think he's just doing an amazing, amazing on this. Um, uh, Journey Smollett. I don't know her so well. I don't think. I'm trying to think. Of the last thing I've I've seen her in. The only thing I remember her from is that she was on Full House as one of Michelle's yeah. friends when she was younger. Yeah, I think she was on like Friday Night Lights, and I, I last movie I saw in theaters is probably Birds of Prey, and she was in that. That's right. She but, was in Birds of Prey. Yeah, like I recognize her face, but I I just I'm not familiar with her and and you know it's fine i mean she's i think she's doing really really great in this role so i mean and she's young so she's you know she's got a lot ahead of her but uh yeah no i don't i don't recognize her from a lot and same with majors i don't it's 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 more um um sorry courtney b vance and uh oh god who, who sorry who played oh uh, michael kenneth williams his uh montrose yeah yeah michael kenneth williams. yeah so the, i mean they're they've been they've been around for a long time uh, in the game, so I, I I recognize I recognize them, and I think uh, they're you know they're incredible parts of this cast. But uh, you know we'll, I guess we'll see what what our younger actors are, are going to do because like so far they're doing really well, and uh, you know it part partially it's their performance, partially it's their writing. But like right away, I'm just I'm with them, like I'm on this journey with them. I I I, I you know they're likable characters right away, which is something. In a, I think in this genre is very important to, uh, very important to establish because it, it feels like okay, once you have your characters that you like and that you you can trust, they're the really the only characters that you can trust. Uh, everything else they come across, you're just like, what are they like? Who's this guy? What's what's his actual intentions? And you know, especially you know when they go, you know, 
Jim Crow America, you know, like every white person they come across, you're like, it's, it, it, this is, and this is kind of what, which just show so something that it does that I think works really well with horror is that horror has, gives you this sense of sort of anxiety and stress and you never you never know what anybody's intentions are or who they really are or what the monster you know under the mask is and that's kind of what this adventure is like you have these characters that you trust and hopefully you know we'll see some twists and turns with that but then everything else they come across you're just you're anxious about what what these people are actually going to do well i think you become invested in them yeah. i i think that I think that, uh, you know, in, in Defy Bloods, Majors was really, really, really good. And I know in that um, in that podcast when we were talking about it, um, you know, Neil and uh, yourself, Coburn, brought up uh, Lovecraft and, you know, Majors coming into this. And I think he's done so well. I think this is obviously something that's showing more of his chops um on a larger level and can he carry it i think smollett is uh incredibly talented and i think that this is the kind of thing that is a good springboard for the rest of her career because she's still young she's talented um i think we're coming into a time where especially actresses of color are being more appreciated and rightly so and I, I, I feel, and also she's stunning, and every time she's on camera, it, she looks great, and I just think she has all the the leading, uh, you know, the lead actor qualities. And then when you start getting into, you know, uh, Abby Lee, um, who plays, uh, I'm trying to remember. Christina uh, what, Brathwaite. Yes, she Braithwaite. plays Christina Brathwaite, yeah. So she was, I mean, she's fantastic as well. She's very... You know, very, very cold. Creepy. And she's incredibly <laughs> creepy. creepy. And it's like, she's beautiful. And then you're like, you're she's creepy as fuck. And you're like, get away mm. from me. Which is fan, which is excellent. I, I like the ability to do that. But I mean, I'm listen. I'm going to be on a Courtney B. Vance train the whole time. Because because uh, uh, Courtney B. Vance is fucking so good. He was incredible in the people, the people versus OJ. He was so good as Johnny Cochran in that. And fuck, even in even in the he, this guy was in the Hunt for Red October. He was fucking sick. So I, I mean, I fucking I, I absolutely loved it. Um, and then obviously, Omar Michael K. Williams is fantastic. He this guy is on the HBO train. Uh, and he, and I fucking love it. I love him turning up all the time in HBO shit, mm -hmm. and I'm glad he does. I think he's, ta I, I think he's a talent. I think he's an incredible character actor, and, you know, I think this, I think the casting was so deft with this and so on point. It's, it's really quite special. So, I think part of the reason why this was so effective, I mean, beyond the, you know, beyond just the performances and the writing and just, like, you know, the production crew they were able to put together, I mean, the production design, the cinematography is stunning. I love the way they... Ca Actually, it's Canadian... Cin one, of the, one of the cinematographers is Canadian. Robert McLaughlin, I think it is. Yes, Robert McLaughlin. Absolutely fucking fantastic. He shot Game of Thrones... He shot several Game of Thrones episodes. I know that HBO tries to, you know, keep it in the family if they can. I mean, what did we think about the way this looked? I thought I thought it was like stunning and fantastic. I think like they really brought you know the 1950s to life. Um, like some of the, the dream sequences are also really well done, really well shot, really well framed. Yeah, I think the cinematography to me is like just on par for the course for HBO. And like I think with an HBO show, you kind of notice when those things kind of aren't up to par because like the network is known for such quality. 
Like so an entire episode of Game of Thrones being underlit. <laughs> I don't. I don't talk about that show anymore. <laughs> it's yeah. the Voldemort of HBO shows we used to love. <laughs> don't give it any, any energy. Just yeah, don't give it any. Pretend energy. it doesn't exist. Yeah, it's like a bully. Ignore it; it'll go yeah. away. Uh, yeah. bo- bo- boy, and, what do you think? Um, I, see, I love that it doesn't uh, fall into the the period um, uh, trap, you know, it's like, oh, this is it's 1950s or 1940s. Let's, let's make everything a little like sepia tonish or something like that. It, it, there's, there's so many examples of that. And, um, you know, it, it definitely finds a sort of a sweet spot of, of just presenting that time period without trying to, you know, put these like sad sort of overused, uh, uh, colors and 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 looks to that time period, and uh, I think it's 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 I mean it's incredibly well, you know. It also it, with some of the like the fantasy stuff and the fantasy sequences, especially that first scene, like that first you know him uh, in the Korean War and all that, like that was that to me was just like right away. I mean it's it's the whole thing just thematically like it sets the tone and like okay this is not what I was expecting the show to be and then you're like oh is this some kind of like fantasy okay but then and it just and it's just it, and it manages to mix that kind of you know uh, a dream sequence of this fantasy you know Lovecraftian nightmare and mixed with the Korean War going from black and white to color and, and then going to you know 1950s America uh, and that look, it just it's all seamless. So I, I, I it was beautiful. So I, yeah, I think while we're talking about the way the show was shot, I have to like give a like a big round of applause and like a, a handshake to them for the way that they included uh, Gordon Parks' photography of segregation and of like uh, the Jim Crow era, um, and they kind of infused that into this first episode with uh kind of giving these frames and, and shots that are direct kind of um parallels to gordon park's pictures and i thought that was super powerful and, was, and just another way that the show is kind of uses um the past to kind of comment on our present day situations i think that's an interesting point because in the development of this they spent a lot of time talking about uh, Gordon Parks photography and you know that was kind of how they showed the visual style they were going for and I like that they combined it with a like a very lush looking landscape um, and and like you I mean when you started when you, when you talk about the sepia tone it's like there's like it's like almost like there's a default period LUT that they put on the camera you know what I mean it kind of reminds me of you know when that scene in Trailer Park Boys you know when they're shooting the music video for J-Rock and he's Mm -hmm. talking about like the negative art and he's like you know like we're adjusting the blacks like it's these preset fucking um, camera settings for things Mm -hmm. I, I like for me it's you know like f- for it's the Breaking Bad Mexico episodes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I wanted to. I think what it is is what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't feel informed. It doesn't feel like you're make, making any informed choices for the way you're shooting it. It's kind of like there's an overall aesthetic I want, but it's not motivated. It's you know just kind of based on some things that you thought were cool, but then something like taking Gordon Parks photography it's so form equals content it so makes sense for the way it's put together so it's almost like and his images are you know iconic images of segregation and you know Jim Crow and I think that 
whether you've seen them or not, they're in your head. And the way this is shot brings that into it. It's almost like it's subconsciously in, you know, in that cinematic language. So I thought that the, the way they did that was fantastic. I also think the production design in this is really good. I can't even imagine how much of a pain in the ass it would be, uh, especially when you're in the Chicago parts. Thankfully, though, I will say this, uh, parts of Chicago, especially in the south side, look like they haven't been fucking updated in a long time. So, I mean, like... You, is that because they haven't? Yes, that is exactly because they haven't. <laughs> if you're, I mean, if thankfully, you're, thankfully, from a production standpoint, yeah, like only, yeah, it's like, like all, it's like it's the only thing that it's the only silver lining to all like the socio political misery that's been affected by you know white flight and all the things that's wrong with the yeah. fucking south side of Chicago. Um, Chicago is a beautiful city. It's always going to remain close to my heart. So it was really um, fantastic, kind of seeing the way they were shooting it before they left. I loved it. Um, you know, and just their ability to create that space and create that world. Um, it it was really fantastic. It was, I love that. I love it when you're sucked into something and it doesn't let you out until the fucking credits roll. That's what we're looking for here. So I got, I've got a point on that. And it kind of leads us to the, to the, to the uh, discussion about music. If you don't mind me jumping to that. Not I was problem. so drawn into that show that, uh, with the exception of the um, was it Gilt Scott Harris, the uh, uh, Whitey and the Moon uh, spoken word. With the exception of that, I was so drawn into the show that uh, uh, I did not even notice the music, sadly, except for like the stuff that happens, you know, on screen, you know, BB King on a radio and whatnot, uh, and and them singing on stage and what uh, and for that block party. Uh, but I didn't notice it until the end, and it's Nina Simone, Sinnerman, and I'm like, oh my god, what a way to end a show, this song. But like, I, I have to go, I have to go rewatch it again to to really, to really like pick out the music that's there. Um, and and all that being said, the only exception where I did notice the music, and I I think, and this is just me personally, I'm not a fan of of movies and and shows when if when they are set in a period when they when they use modern music it not sometimes it works generally doesn't for me uh and there was uh, i forget you're gonna have to remind me which scene it was but there there, there was a hip-hop song that came on it's, uh, like he, a very he's outside of his song. uh his uncle's place and he's crossing yes. the street i believe it's and so like, good that, that's so good song. personally that just took me out of of it and and that's just that's just me and, and how, i like how it. i sort of ingest that media um but other than that like everything else was just incredible and 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 i was in that world so much and and couldn't wait to sort of can't wait to see more that i when i came to, to the end and cinnamon comes on i'm just blown away I think it's Alice Smith's Sinner Man, if I remember properly. I think it's Alice really? Smith who did it. Yes. That sounds like did it Nina Simone. She has a very uh for Alice Smith is fantastic. I would recommend anybody listening to Alice Smith. She does sound like Nina Simone. Uh, I believe it's Alice Smith. I'm gonna double check it right now. And yes, it is. Um oh, okay. but but I mean what you're saying still stands also. It's very similar. Um also I believe uh Nina Simone has uh it's kinda like a stand it's a standard. So um there's probably Nina Simone singing it as well but this is an alice smith uh, version uh i think i, I but everything you're saying uh, makes sense because you know it, it's one of those things where when a song becomes part of the when a song becomes really part of the scene it's not that you're not like rocking out to it you know what i mean like if that makes sense it's more like image music 
performance, production design, all these elements come together and sucks you right in. And I feel like at that point, it's done its its, its job. I, I think, Coburn, you were going to say something about the Gil Scott Heron? Oh, I was just going to say that. That was like, I really like that that part in, in episode two, um, the Gil Scott Heron, like, and also the title of it. And then they kind of use the poem in it too. And I think there's all, like, I really appreciated all the allusions to, you know, they allude to um, Lovecraft's 1914 uh, poem uh, in the beginning. And then they kind of use Gil Scott Heron's poetry in the next episode. I, I just think there's so much layering done in the show, which I thought just added so much to it. And it was just a lot of time spent, I can imagine, like researching and just nailing down these references. Yeah, I thought that the I thought they did really well. It's funny because I remember Gil. Okay, I love Gil Scott Heron. Uh, I think he's a godfather of hip hop. One of the godfathers of hip hop. Um, I I think it's funny because when I first heard that song "Whitey's on the Moon," I f- was listening to um, when I was younger. I was think it was with an uncle or or something, and uh, Howard Stern was playing it. And he was talking shit about it. And saying he was stupid and all this kind of stuff. And I remembered it. And I remember hearing the song later. And I'm like, oh, it's that song that... It's that dumb song that uh, Howard Stern was playing. And then when I was started listening to it, I'm like, man, this is awesome. And, like, what a fucking ignorant piece of shit. Because, <laughs> like... I'm like what I don't even shit. know understand how you, how you take that wrong. Well, like, the problem... It's... See, the problem is guys what? like that don't understand things. Like, you know what I mean? Like... And it's it's one of those it's one of those things that you know goes under people's fucking nose sometimes. This idea of we're gonna go to the moon. Meanwhile, there is massive inner city poverty. You know what I mean? Like, not to say that space exploration isn't important for the future of our civilization because we'll get those people. But at the same time, what's important for the future of our civilization is the condition of all peoples, including uh, people of color. And I think that is what. Um, you know, Gil Scott Heron was saying with it, like, listen, there's people starving and, you know, and people living in ghettos. Meanwhile, fucking we're going uh, in space and spending billions yeah. of dollars to do that. And the well, second I understood yeah. that, I'm like, this song was incredible. And it was just perfect in that mm-hmm. scene because it's like these guys, these, these, this white guy is trying to, you know, talk immortality and figure out a way to live forever. And these guys are just trying to get through fucking Jim Crow America. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's perfect. And and honestly, it makes me also another, sorry, I I have to go back to a piece of production design that I think is brilliantly used in this. That's connected to, to what you just said is, is that that map that they have and why I think this goes back to being sort of a, a kind of an adventure too because they have a map in the guidebook that, that sorry the uh, um oh, I forget um, the green book the, the yeah well it's, yes it's, it's the guidebook but the, 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 the daughter that, that that draws on it you know she it's it's it, I love how they did that because it's like it's like almost comes off as these like ancient maps where like here be dragons that sort of thing like this is where don't go here the death is here and monsters and trolls and whatnot and really it's just it's just this 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 vision of 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 you know how to how black people had to navigate america during those days and where to avoid which uh, by the way i didn't i didn't i think i've only heard like once 
or twice about about uh, uh, you said green books. Yeah, the green book, yeah. Yeah, I've I've only heard once or twice about that. Um, and it's it just blows my mind like that's that that's a thing and and that that's a thing that people did and that they had to do and it's just it's it's brutal. But uh, it's it's inclusion in the show and I think it's actually gonna be I I, I predict that it's gonna become. Uh, a, a, a sort of a, a further sort of guideline in the story of 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 where they're going to go next that map for those for people who don't know who haven't seen, either seen the green book or don't know historically what a green book is basically it's a travel guide for black people traveling through the united states and especially jim crow south where it's safe places uh where you can go and safe places where you can lodge without you know overt fears of you know racial backlash as well as rules for counties and places for example like that sundown rule this is a little Jesus legitimate Christ. thing that country well i don't know if it's legitimate but it actually happened in terms of what they uh you know what counties in the across the u.s uh, the rules they would place on the you know the movement and, uh, and presence of black people and this idea of the it's funny you mentioned that the map thing because it's a really cool um motif for this mm. it's like the like you were saying it's the map that takes you to the treasure or through the the dragon's lair or it's it, it's like it it takes like a re a real world thing and makes allusions to it and i think this is actually a good time to kind of move into the way they were able to um the way misha green was able to um take horror and segregation and put it as a parallel horror story to all the fantastical elements and have it mixed together i mean there's this in an interview i saw her uh i saw with her uh, she said, I've always lived in a horror movie. That's why I've loved the genre. And that's in reference to the fact that the way, you know, black people have been treated. And I thought that was, and then immediately when I start, you know, looking at Jordan Peele, Peele's work, um, it just really, really hit me. And I'm like, duh, um, this is a fucking horror story for a lot of people. And the way they were able to use that and mold that to become social commentaries, like it was fa mind blowing and fantastic. Yeah. I, I thought like, I really found the the scenes with like because I think in the show it's called the guidebook because I don't know if they're I don't know if they wanted to use the word green book especially after the yes, movie was totally made. Yes, you're totally right. You're totally right. But I think the the way that they kind of framed having the guidebook and kind of it was almost a commentary on how bad and how um, kind of how bad the movie reflected on it and how people kind of didn't really enjoy what the movie had to say and they kind of used. Uh, the motif in the show to kind of use uh, to kind of have commentary on that while also kind of using it to set up like the travel and the kind of direction of the show, which I thought was really brilliant. I think that's really interesting because there's, I mean, as I said, that you have the parallel horror stories, you know, you know, black people's experiences in America and then the fucking fantastical beasts that are coming out and the magic and the spells but the fucking racial stuff, I mean, I think is purposely meant to feel worse because it's like only when they're in the presence of those characters and in that area do they experience it. But everywhere else they are connecting from town to town and inside every town is is a fucking nightmare for them. And I, I, I like that 
they're using that they're using tropes and and mixing them with social commentary and 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 telling you about an experience in another way because as we know with um you know politics and society right now is that people don't listen to things like logic and normal stories and like um news uh you know with fake news and all that shit out but telling people and sharing emotions and creating like an ideas through rich storytelling and you know setting it up with really cool motifs is effective and I, I i think you really feel that with the when you go through here i've felt been made to feel uncomfortable which is uh, as uncomfortable as a white person can be by these scenes which i hope that the, which is like the purpose of them to show you how fucking terrible it is um i think in this it's they're even they feel even scarier than like a movie like mississippi burning if that makes sense you know what i mean because it feels more latent and more ominous you know what i mean because it's moving into the the horror trope yeah i think it, i think it absolutely makes sense uh i'd like for me the scene with um the car chase when they're stopped by the police officer and they're basically told that they have to be out of that county before 7 p.m and they kind of check the clock and then <laughs> they start driving and this police yeah. officer is like tailing them and they're kind of like racing against the sun and it's like but they can't time. they can't speed yeah they, they, can't, they can't speed, speed so they have this, these all these obstacles and they're trying to like get over the county line just in time and it like also kind of has an allusion to like the end scene of get out where like the cops show up at the end and you're kind of your breath's taken away and you're like oh no this is the worst thing that could possibly happen and because they, they, they run into i more feel people. like i was more exasperated during that scene than when the monsters were chasing them yeah, I, I think so yeah, too. Yeah, but I'd also like to add the scene after all of this when you know they're going to the Braithwaite Manor and you know they're the the that like right away you know I'm with these characters and and I'm I'm seeing like you know what I mean I understand what's been happening to them and then right away I'm paranoid about how well they're being treated how about you know uh uh um. Uh, sorry what's his name getting the books that you know he, books that he loves and 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 uh getting the dresses that she loves you know what i mean i'm 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 already ahead of what happened when they you know when uh um when he starts when atticus starts questioning yeah i'm like fuck these nice well ass white people because i'm just like <laughs> this is this like after everything they've been through they just what they just go to a mansion and everything's great no this is fucking scary <laughs> The other shoe's gonna drop. Some fucked up shit's gonna happen. Obviously, Get Out is is plays a big, you know, scene in, or pay, plays a yeah adds a lot of like context. Sort of like okay, right away you see rich white people and you're like okay, this is gonna. be... I'm like I don't some, fucking trust rich white people. More fucked up is gonna. <laughs> I don't trust them. I don't, I don't fucking, fucking trust them. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't go stay at their house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the fact you know they go through all this stuff that this gym grows up and then they just what they just go to a, a rich white person's house and they're gonna they're gonna be treated well i don't know something's real fucked up there and that's 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 another thing that sort of is to the credit of this of this show is just like you're and to the to the whole to its use of the horror genre but it's also use of 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 you know racial politics and and and, and that history uh, uh jim crow history of just making you super paranoid and and distrustful as a viewer of everything that's happening to these characters uh, which, which, uh, yeah, which is a good way to like make you so invested that, uh, you know, the, the, when, when all the, um, supernatural stuff happens, you're just, you don't even know where it's going. 
I think like another scene that kind of echoed uh, what I found to be like commentary on the movie Green Book was the scene with uh, the gas station and the banana when um, Atticus is eating the banana at the gas station and then he kind of has these monkey noises made at him. And you're kind of like in this moment where it's like a tense racial scene. It's a racial moment. He's being teased. Um, but they get in the car and they leave. And then as soon as they leave, they drive by and you see this shot of this Aunt Jemima uh, billboard. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, it's kind yeah. of like you can, you're connecting the two in your head because you're like, okay, here's racial teasing, super obvious and super blatant. And then we see this Aunt Jemima billboard and it's like, okay, this is an equation of the two and like yeah obviously over the summer we just like lost aunt jemima as a character or i don't know yeah. if they're taking away the sauce well, it's, the, it's the overt and the and the subvert yeah you know the the, the of, of racism it just it, this is the background and this is the foreground of, of of the reality of it i really like also too because like they played with intersectionality with this you know from a gender standpoint because i know because you know they have the whole thing with uh christina and he says to her you know you know, he's he's talking about how she's a woman and her dad has has not included her, and she was like, "But they've included you because you're a man." You know what I mean? And you start to see, you know, the shifting ideas of prejudice with this. And I mean, with um, with Journey Smollett's character, uh, Lit, Letty. you know, yeah, they won't, they don't, uh, you know, they're they're she's not she's excluded from the dinner. Um, and you start to see that and, you know, they kind of underestimate her from a driving standpoint and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and they, you know, and there's this overt chivalry he tries to have to protect her in situations where like she kind of saves their lives and stuff. And I just thought their ability to kind of do that and shift it and play with ideas like intersectionality, um, I thought were really, really, really cool. I, I like that they added that to it. I like that they were conscious of that. I think Misha Green obviously um as a black woman encounters that um you know because in the intersectionality spectrum i mean black women have a very tough a very tough obviously in the in the industry she's in and i like that they were able to to add this idea of gender and what it means and the whole and it was just very well done it wasn't done in a heavy-handed way and the it just they were the way they were able to do that was just just fantastic and um like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, like, she's in a position um, through having this show where she can tackle some of these issues. And it's, it's, not, a, it's, not, a, it's not a position that many people kind of have the, the liberty or the platform to, to, to do. So I think we're seeing kind of the results of that on screen and, and, and infused into the writing and infused into the imagery and, and kind of in all facets of what makes this show good, we're going to see this kind of continue out, like run, running parallel along the horror themes, running parallel along the race and, and class. Like all these things are going to kind of head together to kind of build this whole world up in, in, a, in a, like a completed way. I like... It, with that character with letty it's like there's always you know what the the sorry the the, uh, the uh, intersectionality and all that stuff that you're you're mentioning with uh, with uh you know what black women faced and are facing um there's always a cheap and heavy-handed way to tackle those things and then there's just a way that is character and plot driven uh 
where it still accomplishes the same thing and it accomplishes it even better. And for me, Letty is like right away, you're, you're being, you know, her, her fighting for like, no nah, man, I, I'm going to drive or, you know, I'm going to go run uh, and, and rescue you guys. Like I can, I'm, I'm the better runner. These, these things that she fights for with these guys who don't, don't believe she can do it or just, you know, because she's a woman and all that. Uh, she does it because that's you. You could tell that's her character, and that's that. Those things inform who she is as a character. And we only we're only getting, I think, a, a, a episode a end of episode two. We get little snippets of maybe of of how much of a fighter she is. Uh, just in uh, you know, aside from the the heroic things that she's already done, but how much of a fighter she is. Sorry, it might have been in the first episode, um, where she's arguing with her brother. And you, you hear that, you know, the reason she gets into trouble uh, and that she had to bail some people out is because she's, she's, she's fighting, she's part of the civil rights movement or, or she's protesting or she's part of, of doing civil rights act. So this is like we didn't that could have been a thing that somebody, uh, some hack could have put in as a as an introduction to her character. But that's just the thing that happens in a background conversation and a background argument uh and but we're already introduced to like she's a badass and she does things you know she 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 does things and she fights for what she believes she can do and what she would uh, what she's capable of uh you know even people even when other likable characters you know that, that are, are hero characters don't believe in her um and i love how that's handled um and uh I, I you know obviously i want to see i want to see more of how that's going to be handled but i think that's an example of how to make those 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 messages and those those uh those issues how to make that so intrinsically part of a character uh that it just comes off very natural and 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 you just you buy into it right away so i mean misha green said her and novelist matt ruff discussed First and foremost, the Lovecraft Country being a family drama, which I think is very evident in this. How do you feel that they've executed those elements of the show? Cobra, why don't you start us off? Yeah. Uh, um, well, I think you really get a sense of, of family and, and belonging, I think, from it. Like, I think uh, from the moment that Atticus, like, like, comes in the fire escape in the window and you meet his, like his cousins and his uncle and his uncle's wife. And then, you know, it's a, it's a story about him looking for his father. Um, and then there's definitely, you know, elements about him and his connection with his mother. So I think you have all those elements there and it feels like not that different from like a kind of eighties kind of horror adventure movie so far to me, at least based on the first two episodes. Right. I think it has a lot of those elements to it where like, I don't know if it's it's not like a kid show, but like there's elements that like you could watch this with like you know older family members, and like you could all draw different conclusions from it. And I think I haven't read the book yet, and I think that like you know based on the two episodes I've seen, that I definitely want to read the book and want to see kind of the parallels uh, that it has to the show. But yeah, I definitely get a family element to it. Well, yeah, and it's it's you know there's they're establishing you know that whole family as well as the connection to, I believe that's his great grandmother, Hannah. Um, the one that ran away from the, from the Braithwaite manor when, and when it was set on fire, when they attempted that experiment the first time. Um, 
So there's there they I mean they obviously they established that, that but like with the characters even though they're you know like Letty's not family but you know this is it it's there's already a family dynamic there uh, with you know they they're traveling together they protect each other they so it's you know obviously yeah there's a family drama there's connections to, uh, in the past throughout with the story and 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 that's going to develop into a further thing but then there's also just this you know made family of survivors and adventurers if you will i like the way they do i like things where there's family lore and family history um mm -hmm. whether it's something like this or even something like back to the future where there's this idea of the mcfly family going back for generations and what happened in the past affects what's happening now and your perception of your own family i love that that's how they did it um for this and you start buying into the family lore and you start wondering what these things, because especially with this, there's so many interesting little things that come up. And it plays with the supernatural, but it plays with real world racism as well. And it's just, you find yourself wanting to unspool that story. And, you know, and each, like each revelation about it becomes a gift. And I love that they've kind of woven that tapestry throughout it. I, I, I think that, you know... I always think about my own family. I always think about my own family history. I often wonder about my own place in my own family history. And this kind of pulls at that string and that internal idea of self and who you are and where you come from and what does that mean in your life and what does that mean in the experiences that are happening to you. And in this case, it's blown up in, a, in the surrealist and most fantastical of ways and how, you know, I love how Tick is involved, like it's Tick's family story and his, you know, genealogy and lineage ties into the whole horror story and what it means. And it becomes a defining thing for him and understanding it becomes part of his survival. And I think there's a metaphor there with understanding your own past, especially, which is especially critical for black people because, you know, there's so much of their past got covered up by things like slavery and it's just very very i i just love how all of that comes together i mean like i kind of always judge thing about judge these kind of things by how the elements all come together and work together and i think that this is kind of one of those stories that's scary and it's the the racism is terrible but you get a warm feeling between these people um, and love and group understanding and regret and it's just these very human emotions that kind of everybody can understand and I think that is kind of like a gateway drug into any social commentary that teaches people is that you bring people in with the uh, the, the human feelings and then you start subtly educating them with all this other stuff about this environment that they had to cope and live with. And, you know, a lot of people like them had to cope and live with. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's really uh, fantastic the way they've, the way they've been able to do it. So I would say that this has a lot of in common with get out or us. And, you know, I think that as I mentioned off the top, Jordan Peele kind of repopularized that social thriller packaged it in horror but misha green really 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 keeps going with it like she really takes it and runs with it and makes it her own 
like how do you feel that you know Jordan Peele and Misha Green are really changing the cinematic language for horror? I mean, horror's relevancy and and where it lost its relevancy for a long time was this just how much it separated itself from from uh, real realistic characters and 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 not even realistic scenarios. It can still be fantastical and crazy and out of this world and 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 just whether it's monsters or gore or whatever, but just realistic characters that will react in in real ways and and in in a that and integrating horror into into actual societies and how and how how you know reality works i think there's more potential and, and i think what what is being explored here especially with the inclusion of social issues and 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 uh, uh um you know racial injustice in this show and in watchmen is there's just so much potential when you tap into something that's real and you add and you in a in a in a skillful way you add uh these fantastical elements to it whether it's sci-fi or it's horror uh that ground is so rich for stories that hasn't been uh, uh done a million times over whereas horror i think in my opinion has been has been just languishing and just boring old stories that we've heard many times that are disconnected from anything, uh, you know, from anything real. And there's a lot of there's a lot of horror in the real world, so why not why not use it and 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 uh, uh, make it more intense and more fantastical? Uh, I think there's a a good future there for horror. And I'm I'm as a, as a non horror fan, I'm kind of I'm excited to see more of those stories. Yeah, I think for me, like what makes this show so great is it really deftly uses the past, um, and it uses that alongside horror to comment on our present. And I think you know every year you get like the crop of biopics or like historical fiction kind of movies that use the past to make a statement about today's like you know ongoing presence or whatever and i think this show kind of falls along that but then also has some owing to movies like us and movies like get out which use the horror side of of things to comment also on today so i think this show is kind of doing both and you really get that in the first episode with you know having this supernatural element and then having the very real like police uh overreaching element and I think I'm really excited to see where the show goes next and, you know, what more it has to say about today and what more it has to say about the past. And I think there's also really, like, the show's also really honest and really, like, kind of from the first episode comments on, you know, Lovecraft's racism and it doesn't really shy away from anything, which I think is really powerful to do in a show that's, you know, named after him and pays homage to him in a lot of ways. I, I think, and Misha Green even said in the, you know, in an interview that, you know, there was this coming to terms with how rich Lovecraft's stories were, but then obviously he was overtly racist, and it's almost like she happily claimed the interesting parts of the story and separated it from that racism and made it her own, and that there was, like, a level of empowerment you know, with that, I would push back a little on the idea about horror not, like, being relevant just because of how well horror movies generally do compared to, like, it's easier for a low-budget horror movie to return 
uh, an investment than any really any other movie just because of what's finance. I would say though that it's like what is what about mainstream relevance? Um, I think I think that horror movies have always had a place in the mainstream. It's just what like what you said though that's de definitely spot on is the idea of about like how fucking tired is it like remember when saw first came out and they immediately switch it to gore and it became this whole gore porn thing and then and then eight some i don't know how many but eight some movies later yeah it's still the you same know what i mean shit. like i like it because it gives people in toronto jobs but i don't <laughs> like it i don't like i don't like it's it doesn't have any really uh validity in terms of like and it's kind of an interesting concept, but that whole idea of gore porn. But when you see things like Hereditary, they're legitimately fucking scary and unnerving. But I think Jordan and like Midsummer, but Jordan Peele with Get Out and Us like fully asserted it back into the mainstream. And I love that he said that Get Out was a fucking was a documentary. I love that that's what he that you know it's just a big. It's just a big social commentary on this, like, overtly liberal, um, you know, face value, like, I'm not a racist kind of position. And, like, turning it on its head and, like, really striking at the social heart of it and what's wrong with it. And I think that what he was able to do with, with this genre is really bring it also back into, and you see him do this with the twilight zone too, is these like Hitchcockian unnerving moments where, um, where we're really focusing on mood and we're not working. We're not focusing on like jump scares and stuff like that. We're not focusing on disc, you know, making you know, people like making shit that, freaks people out if they think it's disgusting or whatever you know i, I it, it's that it relies pu purely on story and mood and the execution of that and how those elements come together to create horror and this idea of using uh you know the racist america as that backdrop and like creating a parallel horror reality with the fantastical horror i think it's i think it's pushing what it can be and I think, as I said, Misha Green is taking it to another level. I think she's kind of, she's building on that foundation and making it her own and showing that it can go in so many different places. And I think it can even move into fantasy because there's some, and, 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 you know, and mythology and like all these different, you know, all these different things that are involved in the fantasy genre that, you know, coincide and link up with horror. I think that it's only opened the doors for it. I think that it's more in that Stephen King tradition than, you know, some of the other, you know, where it's like, it's really shaping a mood um, and a reality and, and it, it's driving it into your consciousness um, and unnerving you rather than just trying to shock you or freak you out. And I think that there's so many moments in this where it just sucks you in and then re sucks you in. And it's not scary per se but it's unnerving and you feel uncomfortable and you're always tense and when it's not the fantasy elements that are doing that it's the racial elements that are doing that and i just think it's so well executed and i think that it's going to push what horror movies can do especially in a tv landscape 
I did no, I did I did want to add something about uh you know with the whole the the um co- cosmic horror genre or Lovecraftian genre um which uh, admittedly I haven't read his books uh, but I do I'm well acquainted with that mythos and and and, and that world uh, through RPGs and other other um, elements and what I'm excited to see or or, or at least curious at how they're going to include this or if they're going to include this at all is that in in this world in the in this genre um characters basically uh the reality that we know is just a thin veneer for the cosmic uh in, incomprehensible cosmic horror that lies behind all of it um your your eldritch horrors and elder gods and and things that basically the human mind can't even comprehend and what happens with a lot of these characters is that when they witness these horrors, their their mental state is permanently uh, 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 damaged over time, uh, and and their perception of reality is damaged over time, and their sanity becomes into question. So I think, I mean, I, I don't know how much of that they're going to use, and if, uh, how much uh, of that world they're going to those tropes they're going to follow, but uh, if at all, I think that's going to be a very interesting. Uh, a storyline going forward uh, or not storyline but just an interesting way to develop the characters going forward and develop the story going forward where you don't even know they they don't even know what's real or what's not and we've seen a little bit of that with the magic uh that's been messing with their minds and the illusions and whatnot but uh it, it, they're they're still sane after having seen all this but we'll see what, what happens going forward i'm just I, i'm just here to, i want to see C- cthulhu finally well, I mean, we saw him in oh, the first yeah, scene. Yeah, he, he was How great is that? Yeah, I remember Jackie Robinson smokes him with a bat. <laughs> that was awesome. Like that when they like I I was like this is fucking incredible. And, you know, it's really interesting that you you know you bring that up because that trope of the you know haunted house or demonic house, and then people start kind of losing their concept of reality. Mm. Whether it's like the Shining you know, or Haunting of Hill House, like those kind of things, you know, it's a, it's a big, big horror trope, but they really make it fresh with this and make it in terms of, and it's interesting because you're like, you're like, man, I don't trust those white people. You're not like, where are the monsters next? You're like, you know what I mean? Like they subverted, you're like, man, fuck these white people. And it's fucking just, and, and, and you're not even thinking about monsters and their ability to do that. Then all of a sudden you're being shifted and it's almost like they found a ground level of horror to always keep you on edge. Oh, that, that and then they just weave the fantastic, the fantastical that stuff. That scene with them in the diner, they're trying to figure out if they can eat there or like what happened to the previous owner who was like, you know, like was in the green book. That scene was fantastic mm-hmm. too because they're like, okay, we just got to get the hell out of here, like all at once. And you don't think about that. And like, I think that white. I remember talking to my friend jason miller uh jason miller is the producer of our fucking um some one of the my co-producer in some sort of judas our documentary um you know i remember talking to him about what's been going on lately i'm just like hey man how you doing and he and we got into a conversation where he's like explaining why he you know will hang out in the city but he doesn't like going way up north and going into random places to eat because you know he feels everyone looking at him and he feels and i have no idea what that experience is like and to feel uncomfortable in a place and like you're not welcome all the time and when they show something like that and the the tension they create with that 
I think is the closest thing you can get to telling a person who has not experienced that as a person of color, um, how to, how to feel about it. And I love that they did that. And I, 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 I love the way they were able to do that. Try for a minute to make you feel like that and how you feel it. And I think the fact that it took a horror movie to do that shows that it's such a fucking shitty situation. And I love that they make you feel that without clubbing you with it so that it feels natural and feels real. And as a result, the impact is much, much heavier and much greater. Well, it's the classic, you know, show don't tell, right? Yeah. You just start telling people about that stuff. They'll be like, oh, whatever. But now you're seeing it and you're feeling it and, you're like, and you understand it. So, and that's, that's, you know, that's great filmmaking right there storytelling in the all right guys on that note i think we're gonna wrap up because we've got to get going i want to thank you both for coming out and i want to thank everyone for listening Thanks for having me.